This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Waltons, Sound Gear, Aluma Trailers, Onyx Hunt, and by Nutrisource Pet Foods. My guest today is John Zeman. John is a dog training guru that spends his free time working with dogs, their owners, to help them become the best bird hunters possible. He'll give us a glimpse into his mind and the mind of dogs to help you train during the off season. Welcome to another episode of The Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I am your host, as always. And Brandon Morton, even though he is our producer, he's nowhere to be found right now. Slacking on the job, doing something, who knows what. But sitting straight across from me is a very accomplished dog trainer. And I'm very excited to have you here today, John. I appreciate you coming into our office. Uh, You're the reason that my dog right now is so excited because I think she smells all of your dogs on you. Would you be saying it's accurate? That could very well be. Yeah, could John, very well be. John uh, Zeman, and, or do you pronounce it Zeman? Zeman. Zeman. Z-E-M-N. Amazingly, we have worked a stone's throw from each other for how many years now? Oh, we've been over there for 22. And we've been in our space here for over 10. Yeah. And yeah. it's just a couple right. days ago when we looked at each other's email signatures and realize that our offices are oh, yeah. literally across the street from each other. So thank you for coming over to Neighbors. ours today and uh, taking some time. Uh, Bob St. Pierre uh, from Pheasants Forever, Bob and I uh, got to spend a few hours together last week. And one thing that we both love to do is in the springtime, we have kind of our annual um, meeting kind of going over last season, you know, where things are at for the TV show and because we partner together on, on our television and uh, we do it out on the lake. <laughs> we go fishing oh, every, wow. every year right after opening day and we, we talk about what's coming up and Daisy, you need to relax, girl. Yeah, she's all wound up. She saw something outside too. I don't know what it, what it was, but my goodness. Anyway, uh, Bob St. Pierre says that you have the best grouse hunting dogs of anybody he has ever seen. He is so complimentary of you and your dogs and your training abilities. He's talked about you for years, John. <laughs> when we get together and we go hunt, you're the first person that comes up almost all the time because of everything that he's learned from you and how incredible your dogs are. He aspires to have that in his. And that's not the only person that I've heard that from. Um, what I have heard from our listeners over the last few months, as I've had different dog trainers on, they just are interested. They're fascinated by mm-hmm. the knowledge that people like you have. So I'm, I'm grateful that you took some time today. I know you've got a busy schedule. Um, and I know that you also invest time, not only into your dogs, into other people's dogs. And I know that because you include me on a weekly email that you no, send yeah. out to your yeah. buddies. One of these days we'll get you there. I want to come up so badly, <laughs> so badly. But um, I have a really young family no, and there's a lot going on. And then all of a sudden hunting season is here and, and where you train is just a little bit oh, of, yeah. a, of a haul for me because we're on opposite sides of the Twin Cities here. Right. But I, I appreciate 
you continuing to send me the invitation. What does your weekly training regimen look like? Uh, first of all, thank you, Travis. It's uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to sit down with you and talk to you. It really is. I, I listen to every one of your episodes and uh, enjoy enjoy the podcast. I really do. That means the world to me. Yep. I appreciate yep. you saying that. But uh, yeah, as far as our, <laughs> it's a group of friends um, that have gotten together. It all started, I think, with uh, Mr. Bob St. Pierre. And uh, I had invited him before to come out and, you know, just we just run dogs. And before we know it, he had a couple of other PF employees and then a couple of their friends and friends of theirs. And I think we're up to 20 different people on this email thread where I'll send out a, a notice on Tuesday and say, hey, we're training, we're training, uh, you know, tomorrow night. And that's, uh, you know, and it's, we keep it pretty casual, but everybody's in a different place with their dogs and what they're trying to accomplish or, or what they want out of their dogs. And, and it's all about, you know, just helping other people enjoy and get as much enjoyment as I've gotten out of my dogs and, and uh, helping them reach uh, their goals for, or what they want to try to accomplish and develop their dogs into. Let's, let's try to do that today for listeners mm -hmm. that aren't on that email list and so fortunate sure. to be able to go up and see firsthand. Um, a few months ago, I, I had George Lyle on, and we went in-depth as much as we could descriptively, mm -hmm. explaining things without seeing it. Um, and that still has been one of the most uh, commented on, uh, most feedback I got from our listeners. They just, they're fascinated, as I am, to understand what's going on in that dog's brain sure. what are they thinking how do we get them where we want to get them and i know you know how to get them there so i think if we can have a similar discussion today and now that we're in the middle of summer and you know if as we look ahead we're not far away from another hunting season i don't know and it'll, it'll be, be here soon and and if we want the best from our dogs right. we probably need to invest some time in them and whatever we're able, whatever our capacity is. Uh, before we dig into the nitty gritty of it, though, let's go back in time a little bit and, and understand your background and how you got to where you are today. Do, have you, first of all, how many dogs do you have and have you always had dogs? I've always had dogs. Um, I've got four, all German short hairs. Okay. Um, I got my first German short hair when I was 15 years old which was 40-some years ago. Um, young kid out of the, you know, went through the want ads in the paper and, and, uh, and found a litter, um, 150 bucks, I think it was. And, wow. and uh, uh, that dog and I spent every opportunity in the field. And it was just, uh, it just grew into a, fascination with with dogs that has lasted a lifetime it yeah. really has that's so and, cool uh, i sometimes wonder at what point is a great point to get a dog for a young kid you know i look at my kids and and my oldest son in particular just has a bond with daisy who you're scratching her chin right now um they have this bond i mean all my kids do but i see something the way he wants her near him well you know they snuggle up at night she oh, sleeps yeah. in the bunk bed together and i just feel like you know i didn't have a dog as a kid i just wasn't able to sure. have one 
their family situation. And I want my kids to have it if that's if they want that. And looking back, you know, you said 15. Do you feel like that was a good age for you to get? I think it was. I think it was. It, um, you know, you're old enough to take on the responsibility Mm because there there is a fair amount of responsibility there. And, uh, you know, I hadn't quite gotten my driver's license yet, but I was just around the corner and to be able to to, um, you know, drive on my own and, and go out to the field and, and work dogs. And, no, I think that's uh, that's probably about as best age as you could get, yeah. you know, to, to take on that responsibility. So. Did you have space? You said go out to the fields. Did you have land available or uh, did you at, go to public At land? that time, I grew up uh, or went to high school in Plymouth, Minnesota. Okay. And uh, so this was 1978, and uh, at that time, you know, that that area was undeveloped. You know, there was and there was pheasants, there was birds galore out there, and I could go out virtually out the back door and and get my dog on birds, and uh, and that's what I did. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so and that that dog taught me. I mean, more than I taught that taught her or you know every bird dog guy will say you know birds will make a bird dog and experience will make a a bird dog and more experience on especially wild birds you know you can accomplish so much you know with that and uh, and that's that's what my first dog was it was it was just a lot of experience that dog had more experience than than uh, any other dog I've ever had since, because you know, it was a one-on-one thing, and uh, and it was daily, it went, and year-round, it was every opportunity we had. You know, we went to the field. You didn't have kids at that time. You didn't right. have a, exactly. a company you were running. Uh, exactly. You had the yeah. ability to just fully immerse yourself right. into everything that dog needed. Right. And that's not something most of us have. I, let's be honest. Most people right. listening right now, no. they're driving to work right now or home from work, and they've got to pick up the kids and take them to t-ball or oh, yeah. soccer or something like that. And I get it. We all are trying to do our best with, with the time we have. Um, but if you have that ability like you had there to really – spend that time together with your dog there's no substitute for that so that that pup happened to be uh out of what was to become a national field champion multiple national field champion at the time when i bought the pup uh he was a no-name basically but in ninth the early 80s uh the dog's name was amertal's boss ranger and uh, solid liver, short hair, that uh, was amateur trained and amateur handled by a good friend of mine, uh, Gary Nearing. Gary became what I call my mentor. Everybody, you know, so many people, it, it makes all the difference to have somebody else that has been there and done it that is willing to help willing to help you know show you some things and gary was was that to me showed me a few things introduced me to the world of horseback field trial and 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 i look back to you know him as being a key element to you know getting me started and uh, so yeah he he ran all over the country with ranger when he started you know 
to really excel in the all-age field trial circuit and uh, made a name for himself. And after that, he was used, you know, uh, quite a bit as a stud, you know. Um, How once, old were you when he, this was going on? I mean, if you got him when you were 15. I was 15 in 78. I believe it was 1982, 83 when he won some back-to-back national championships with the ranger so yeah i was 18 years old so wow wow and uh yeah so you just saw an ad in the newspaper you go to pick up it was it a puppy at that it was a seven-week-old puppy (laughs) no idea uh, what you got yourself into no no and uh i mean she she was a great hunting dog you know i attempted to to train her and, and field trial on a casual basis with the Minnesota Short Hair Club at that time held fun trials and, and I enjoyed doing that. But uh, it wasn't until later um, in the in 2005 that uh, that I began competing, you know, and still on a casual basis locally. Uh, we were able to hold horseback field trials, you know, in Rogers, Minnesota, which is only 20 minutes from my place. Uh, that's where the bulk of the, the horseback field trials took place in the state of Minnesota. And since then, we've lost those grounds, and we don't have grounds within the state of Minnesota. You know, we really like to have them, but um, so why I did, haven't, I haven't they, trialed as much. Can I ask why, why did you lose those grounds? Uh Development and change of um, management. Uh, this is part of the, the Three Rivers Park Reserve. Oh, sure. Um, they were heavy into prairie restoration, and at that time, you know, the new management said, you know, it just doesn't fit you know, with a bunch of horses, you know, traveling across their uh, blue stem prairie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, yeah, yeah, development, you know. It's tough so, when you have something special and you right. lose it. I mean, you mentioned pheasants out your back door. I grew up with that. Right. And I, I've taken my kids through the neighborhoods and tried to explain to them what this looked like. Because that prairie, that those trees, those hills, the streams that I grew up in my backyard, if I had a pup, oh my goodness, what a, oh, we would have, John, we would have had the exact same experience as you. But um, now there's 1,500 homes there. You know, and the hills are now flat and there's hills in places there weren't and the stream runs in a different place. And I just try to explain to them, I shot deer in that tree, you know, all right, or, you know, that sometimes they can still see an old rotten uh, board that's still there. there. It was so great. I remember the development went up and I drove through it one day and one of the trees they didn't chop down had one of my boards going through the crotch of it. And that was one of my deer stands. I was wondering how long. (laughs) <laughs> Would they leave that up? And it made it like 15 years. <laughs> right, right. Anyway, all right. Sorry, I, I get no. on these random yeah. tangents. But let's get back to, so you, you got into field trialing. Um, and uh, how long or how many years have you been doing that now? Well, <clears throat> like I say, I, I, I had gotten uh, another special dog uh, that in the mid 2000s that um, I had gone back to Gary and said, Gary, do we have any of that breeding left over? Is there somebody that still has what we had, you know, back in the mid eighties? And uh, he said, 
He said, I, as a matter of fact, I just bred a uh, uh, son to Ranger at that time. Um, and um, um, so that was as close as I could get. And that dog was um, my dog, Esser Grace Lucky. And uh, that's that dog, you know, I, at that time I had the knowledge to be able to train a little bit better and, uh, you know, went to my, you know, first field trial with him and, you know, they handed me a blue ribbon and a derby stake and another one in the amateur gun dog stake and judges were telling me, you know, or asking me, you know, somebody help you train that dog because I was still young and they could tell I was new to it and, um, and uh, so, no, I did that by myself. And, you know, you start getting pats on the back and people hand you blue ribbons. Uh -huh. You know, that tends to be a real motivator, you know, to getting people hooked on the whole game of competing in field trials. Where did you get it from? Where did you get the knowledge from? Was it from? It was over time. Um, I had had several dogs before before that. And, and, uh, and you know, Gary was a big help to me, showing me what, you know, there's 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 several ways of getting or different ways of getting to that point, you know, where you've got a dog that can perform and um, uh, and excel in, in field trials that, um, you know, he, he showed me, I believe, you know, the, the right way to do it. And, yeah. and uh, you know, with little pressure, you 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 got to have a dog that um, enjoys what they're doing. And uh, every time that you put pressure on a dog in order to, to, to train them or put something into them, they say you take a little bit out. You know, that pressure, you know, removes a certain degree of style and motivation. And uh, so there's ways of accomplishing it without having to be heavy-handed. And, uh, and that's... And that's how we trained. That's how you learned. Yeah. Was there um, was there a training method that you know? Because I th I've talked on many of these shows about the Huntsmith Silent Command training system right. that George Lyle has oh, yeah. taught me, and I kind of, you know, I I I believed him because I saw his dogs. I hunted with his dogs enough to say, that's that's a, that's a dog. That's a hunting dog that I want right. to try to achieve I guess did you have um, you know Gary took you under his wing did you hunt with him enough to say what he's telling me I believe no, because I can see it yeah he showed me and was always there to encourage and offer advice and everything but the first thing he did when I showed up with that I showed up at, I met him at a field trial we met with this, this young puppy and a young kid and uh, and he handed me a book the book was uh, best way to train your gun dog. It's the Delmar Smith method. Okay. And I, you know, written by Bill Tarrant. Um, and, uh, that was my Bible, that, that particular book. And that is the Smith method. You still have the book? I still have the book. Yeah. How often do you go back and read it? Uh, it's, it's right <laughs> you here. Can memorize There's it. times where I can literally quote out of that book and I, and I haven't read it in years. You know, and, what are some of those just quotes that stick back. with you? What what can you? There's got to be a handful of things you know, that you go back to again and again. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know Delmar. I don't know if you've ever met him, but he's 
he's got a lot of different sayings, you know, and they're, and they're in that book and they keep coming back to me. You know, he starts by, you know, everything, everything I know a horse learned me, you know, and, and that's true. Horses and dogs are two very special animals as far as, you know, they're just amazing. Their abilities and, uh, and how there's a relationship developed between, you know, them and their owners, their handlers. And uh, anyhow, but um, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of some of the other, you know, they, that, they, they that may come point. up. Yeah. They may come up as yeah. we as we kind of right. dig into what uh, would you say as we're moving forward now. Over the year, 40 years that you've mm. been training dogs, you've obviously absorbed a lot. You've learned a lot. The knowledge that you have is now something that you can use and you do use to help teach other people. So that's kind of what I want to dig into. Now, you're, do you feel like um, you've changed that, that training style at all based on what you read from Delmar Smith? I'm constantly changing, and I'm still learning. You know, it it uh, it is something that I don't think anybody can ever really master. Every dog, every dog is an individual. Mm-hmm. Every dog has its own little things, and you know that's where it comes to to reading and understanding that particular dog and what those dogs that dog's needs are, and uh, how to accomplish what you're trying to where you're trying to get to. And um, so, yeah, there's several different methods. You know, it seems like most trainers, myself included, take bits and pieces of everybody else's methods and you develop your own and what, and what has worked for you. And uh, with experience, uh, you, you create an arsenal of knowledge you know, to be able to to read a dog and understand, okay, now I think I know what the next step is, you know, with this dog. If you get stuck and you're trying to figure out, okay, with everything that you do, a lot of times you create issues that, okay, we'll, we'll fix that later, we'll deal with that later, you know. And, uh, you know, one of, the, uh, one of the other quotes in the book comes to me, you know, everything... Every problem, you know, can be created by birds, but it can be fixed by birds also. Aluma Trailers, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say Aluma Trailers tow gear like a dream, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumakln.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. For everything that gets you outdoors, Aluma Trailers will help you get there. Hey, hunters and shooters, whether you're in the field, at the range, or on the factory floor, hearing is the key to your success and safety, and you need to protect it. The all-new Phantom from Soundgear is here to help. Phantom delivers benefits no other product can. Dynamic digital noise protection for your ears. Seamless compression automatically suppresses noises at dangerous levels. Stream calls, music, or other audio wirelessly from your phone. 
One overnight charge keeps you powered all day long. And Phantom is custom molded to your ear and is sweat and waterproof, so it's comfortable all day. Soundgear is American-owned and operated and a proud sponsor of Pheasants Forever. Go to soundgear.com and see how Phantom or any of the other Soundgear products can change your life by protecting your hearing. That's soundgear.com. Nutrisource Pet Foods just launched a new product that can give our active hunting dogs a big boost when they need it most. It's called Kombucha. Nutrisource Kombucha, inspired, of course, by kombucha, is a savory, meaty bone broth topper that's packed with activated postbiotics from a fermentation product that thrives in the gut to promote a healthy gut ecosystem for digestion support. That's a mouthful. But what it means for us bird dog owners is that we now have a healthy topper to pour over our dog's food if they're ever stressed or won't eat while on a long hunting trip. Kampucha is offered in three flavors, turkey, beef, and chicken, and comes in a 12-ounce pouch. Nutrisource high-performance dog foods provide exceptional healthy nutrition for active dogs of every breed, just like my dog, Daisy. Now they have a topper that gives our four-legged hunters another edge when they need it the most. Check out their full lineup of dog foods at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. So let's let's just sidetrack for a split second because we're staring at this dog right, right. now. And she has been relaxed all day. She's been curled up on her little sleeping bed in my yeah. office. And when you walked into our office here, we did a quick yeah. little tour. And stop. Scott Franzen right. said, hey, Daisy looks like she wants to go outside. Do you mind if I take her? And I always take her out. He took her out and went outside. And he said, wow, she got, what did he say? She got... Uh, weird or something. Yeah, yeah, weirded out or something. And right now, <laughs> look at her. She has been... Um, pacing in this in this right. room that we're in. What's going on in her mind right now, in your opinion? What do you think is happening? Dogs have the ability that we don't fully understand sometimes, but um, you know they can they can sense things and and uh, that you know we just don't perceive, and that's. She knows you're here, and she knows she's, that you know a act, lot. She's acting like, let's go. She knows. Let's, she smelled you. Go. You walked in. Right. She knew this is a guy that. Chances are she smells birds on me. She smells other dogs on me. It wouldn't surprise me a bit that, yeah. uh, that she's thinking, let's go. Where's the birds? You know. She saw the cowboy boots. She knows yeah, that things like, are supposed yeah, to happen right now, and that's why she's so excited. Me. Oh my gosh, I love yeah. I love a dog that just like her drive. You know, I've had a lot of dog trainers say, "If you don't want that dog, I'll take her in a second because her right. drive is so strong." And as you can tell, I mean, I, I agree. I would say she smelt birds on you, and she smelt your dogs, and that got her excited. I I don't know for sure. I'm I'm learning so much all the time, John. Oh yeah, that I like asking these kind of questions. Um, when you meet somebody's dog, you'd probably, you know, Bob spends a lot of time with you and he says you're, you're probably one of the nicest human beings that anybody will ever meet. And that's a a, a heck of a compliment. And I've known you briefly, um, through our interactions with Pheasants Forever and our conversations, and they've all been just Wonderful. So I know you would never see somebody's dog and say anything bad about them, but no. I know that you know no. too much about I, about other people's dogs and about dogs. Yeah. So you probably could look at one and say that one hasn't um, 
doesn't know enough discipline. That one has too much freedom. That one, sure. you know, but you would never actually say that. No, that that's hard to, it's hard to be that blunt. And I'm not that type of person, but sure. Sure. You know, you, you look at the dog and you, and you, you envision, you know, potential there. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, there's times when you see, you know, breeding, you know, where I see raw potential there. And there's other times where I said, okay, you know, that this dog does lack, lack a few things that, you know, but um, what are those things that they lack? Is it drive? Yeah, you can call it drive. Um, you know, there's some dogs that just come out of the whelping box and they're looking for birds. They're, they're just, it's just in them. Mm -hmm. And other ones that, you know, it, it takes a bit longer to, to develop that. And, um, but, um, yeah, um, you know, ones that lack confidence, um, are apprehensive, uh, and, uh, you know, it's their surroundings sometimes where you can tell, you know, this dog just hasn't had the opportunity, you know. And I encourage people to, you know, you take that dog wherever you go and, and get them into as many different situations as you can. It makes a more grounded, you know, dog to be able to, you know, when you get them in new situations. You mean socializing? Socializing. And, uh, yeah, that makes a big difference. But, um, you know, I like to, to get dogs introduced to birds at an early age. What's and your age? What do you recommend? Or what have you learned? Is it I've put I've put birds in front of five week old puppies in the in the whelping box and you know a, a quail and let them just you know get a live a, one? get acquainted. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's all of, you know reading reading the pup and see what they're ready for, but we'll start them with a quail or a, or a lock wing or clip wing pigeon and okay. we get that fire lit you know and uh, let them conquer the bird. They have to. You know, the first time, the first time that pup and you know encounters a bird, they they're a little bit apprehensive at that age, especially. But even you know, dogs that have never seen a bird and they're already eight to twelve months old, you still get that same reaction at times. What is the reaction that you're looking for? What do you want to see? Yeah, want to see you know curiosity at first. And then, you know, you see the instincts kick in and, um, and they're, they're chasing that bird down. And, you know, that's the one time we'll, we'll let them chase birds down and get them in their mouth. And, you know, as far as, um, you know, chasing birds is when they're young puppies, uh, we'll put a, you know, graduate up to a clip wing pigeon and, Toss that, they'll, that dog chases it down, they'll pick it up, let them carry it around. And, uh, and now, now the fire's been lit. And from then on, you know, we're popping birds and letting them chase out of the launchers. And this is retrievers and flushing breeds, right? Um, pointers primarily is what I'm working with, okay. you know, as far as the, Retrievers, well, you, you want you want those dogs to understand that they can catch a bird. Every bird is catchable, and they'll 
they'll go after and go in for the flush. With the pointers, eventually, you know, we'll, we'll first build that confidence with them that the bird is not something to be scared of. It's something that, you know, they, they've, um, you know, are completely comfortable with, um, with running that bird down. With young puppies, you've you got to develop that confidence. Once they have it, now that bird is the toughest thing to, to chase down. They're, they're, they're real flighty in, in their mind. And, uh, you know, what we end up doing is, you know, putting birds in launchers. And maybe the first time they catch scent because they, they recognize that scent, they turn, and as soon as they they turn, we pop the bird, and the bird flies off, they chase it. The next time they encounter that scent, the first thing they do is knowing that bird's going to go as soon as they take another step, you know, they'll lock up on point, we'll let them stand there, and, and as soon as they take the first step to go in on the bird, we pop the bird. And pretty soon before you know it, you got a, you know, a 12-week-old pup that's standing 50 feet off of a pigeon in a launcher and uh and he's not moving because he knows if he takes another step the bird's the bird's gonna go and the game's over the dog wants to keep the bird on the ground as long as possible no instinctively that. right instinctively yes they do interesting you know what but, happens when um when that dog thinks its job as a pointing breed when that dog thinks its job is to c catch that bird well, that, that's where I, you know, you'll get into some trouble with <clears throat> so many people. The first thing they, you know, they don't have a coop full of homers. Yep. I need, I, they know they need to get their dog on some birds and get them introduced. Well, I got a source where I can buy some quail um, or I can take them to the game farm and, and maybe, you know, put them on some chucker or some quail that, maybe not don't fly all that well and, and the dog is allowed to get get in and get really close and and uh, run those birds down and, and catch them you know you can dig yourself a little bit of a hole that it's hard to to uh, get out of you know without additional training so let's so let's dig ourselves out of that hole then because right. i know that this is a thing that happens pretty regularly um and I'll encourage when when I see that I said okay you got two options one go find yourself some wild birds and that's why we we train in the spring as or you know in the off season as much as we can you know you got to stay away from the nesting season but yep. if you can get on wild birds um, that will do the same thing as what we're trying to accomplish with these pigeons out of launchers meaning you know the dog will never catch them. And and uh, they learn they can learn so much uh, by where and how to find birds, um, and uh, but uh, without having wild birds such as you know right now during that we're in the nesting season, mm -hmm. you know we'll place pigeons and launchers in typical spots you know on objectives we call objectives either an edge or an island or some point or something like that that we want the dog to to know that you know, it's a potential spot to to uh, find a bird they'll run to those objectives anyhow 
So <clears throat> we make them tough to get pointed. Make those those pigeons in those launchers just as skittish as any sharp tail, late season sharp tail on the prairie. Um, and uh, place with a purpose is what you're saying. Placed, they're placed with a purpose, but you've got everybody wants to see their dog point. Mm -hmm. They want to see that, and and if you're slow on the release with the launcher, you and you allow the dog to move in once they've once they've recognized the scent and and they call it roading in on the bird or creeping creeping um uh you know they'll they'll know what they can get by with but um we launched you got to be you got to be quick on the trigger with the with the launcher and i think that makes all the difference to to make them tougher to to get pointed and uh so we launch the bird when they're well off of it, and it doesn't take very long before that dog's standing 50 feet back, knowing that that he can't get any closer because the bird's going to go. Mm -hmm. And that uh, makes all the difference. It may take a few repetitions if the dog has already developed a, a habit of, you know, thinking that they can catch the bird, you know, if they've had that opportunity. So... So do you believe that a dog learns in threes and sevens? Yeah, I do. Do you run yeah. reps of three and reps of seven, or how do you run Yeah, them? Not, not necessarily intentionally, but <clears throat> if the dog's doing, is, is doing what you want, um, I don't overdo it. So three times is run. usually enough. Yeah, if you, you have know? a good run and right. you're, you, you want right. to... I've been under the, um, the mindset that that time afterwards, the dog is thinking about, right. what did I just do right. and why? And so you give that dog time to process right. everything. So if you're doing a rep of three, then you're moving on to a different dog, setting up the birds again. Is that how you run it? Yeah, generally. Like last night when we were training, you know, we had three birds out there, three launchers, and, and we're, we're just running, running dogs. But um yeah, I've heard that said before. The three and seven, some, there's something about that that uh, dogs learn well. But I think it's it's short sessions. You know, make all the difference. Give the dog something to think about. Try to end on a good note. You know, but um, don't don't overdo it. Meaning, you know, if the dog's doing it right and everything, and doing what you're what you're looking for, you know, stop there. And make them always quit with them wanting more, mm -hmm. you know. So, and this is for I mean your your dogs are what are age, what are the ages of your dogs? Uh, my youngest is five, and my oldest is thirteen. Okay, you and know. you're still running them. I'm still running them. You're still training. Yeah, you know most of them they're they're pretty well finished all of them, but. Um, you know, I just, uh, I enjoy getting out in the field and, and, you know, it's what they love to do. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, if they haven't been run, if they haven't been run, I almost feel a little sense of guilt. Like, you know, let's give them what they want. And, yeah. you know, I'm constantly conditioning them to keep them in shape. Um, it makes all the difference in, in, uh, the dogs, you know, how they behave and, uh, I always say, if, you know, a tired dog is a, a generally a good dog. A happy you know, dog. A happy dog. Yep. That's right. They have to have a job. Yep. You got to, you got to keep them, keep them working. And uh, 
it's a year-round thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, is there a time of the season where you say, you know what, I'm just we're going to take a little bit of a break? Uh, would that be during the heat of the summer, or do you think that's an important time to spend training? Uh, training uh, the heat of the summer. Yeah, it gets a little bit challenging. Uh, early mornings are great, you know, but work can get in the way with that. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, finding places where you can get them wet on a regular basis, that makes a big difference. You can get a lot of stuff done evenings. Um, there's really n- not many times where I'll just uh, call it, you know, and take a break from it. Um, but um, it's mainly just keeping them in condition, and there's a number of ways of doing it, um, whether it's swimming in the heat of the summer or my dogs will pull dog sled in the wintertime. Or really? They pull a, a fat tire bike, you know, down the trails. Um, there have been times when I'll have them rode just off the horse where they're just pulling in a harness. And um, it... Um, yeah, they'll let you know it if you've if you haven't done it uh, in a few days. They begin to let you know that you know, it's it's time to go. Is right. Yeah, you know. it's interesting. You know the the short hair breeds that you have um, are are instinctively driven. And we had a guest a couple weeks ago. You can go back and listen to his episode if you haven't already. But he um, he takes in rescue dogs, finds new bird dogs or second chance bird dogs. He calls it. Um, and a lot of the dogs that he gets are from people that see a cute puppy and they don't understand the, the genetics inside right. that dog that says, I need to get out and go. Right. You know? And so like this morning, Daisy and I, I took her to the lake, threw the ball. She swam for a while and she still is all worked up over there, John. <laughs> My goodness, Daisy, relax. But I'm, I'm always trying to give her that. Right. Let her get that out. And anytime I see her just sprawled out, I'm, I'm happy oh, because yeah. I know oh, she's yeah. happy too. She can um, make them tired. Yes, yes. So when people bring, uh, well, here, how about this? How do you get to the point where you're working with birds? I know everybody wants to get to the birds. And I talk about the foundation, foundation, right. foundation. Yes. Um, do we want to dig into the foundation a little bit? Absolutely. In yeah. building a dog and knowing when they're ready for this this exercise that you just explained, talking launchers. You know, right. everyone wants pigeons, they want quail, they right. want to get them out there. Birds, 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 birds. But I think I've learned enough over the years to say pump the brakes and right. make sure that dog has the foundation to get to that point. Right. How do you get well, there? Well, there's, there's foundation that, um, you know, as in the Smith method, each dog has to go with you, come to you, and stand still. And those are the three keys, and and uh, you know a check cord or or the wonder lead or command lead they call it you know is a is a very valuable tool you know in in creating that foundation or developing that um, so and you know the go the go with you especially with these bigger running dogs is so much important because. You know, a a well-bred pointer uh, will have it in them to have uh, have some sort of independence and boldness to be able to cover real estate to to run, and uh, you you want to develop that at an early age um, when they still have some dependence on on you as a puppy, 
the to to stay in contact with you and uh, recall putting a handle on them also to be able to turn that dog um, the check cord is where is where that's done check cording them through a field and turning them you know on a regular basis using the that check cord on the neck the cue on the neck mm -hmm. to turn them and you can use you can use whatever you want whether it's you know yo or hey hey or you know and then the dog's name or or even a some people will use a whistle for that but um to turn them to turn them yeah you know and right you know with the check cord the cue is you know just the cord on the neck tap 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 eventually when they're out there two three hundred yards and you, and you holler yo yo and it might be a tap on the collar is a nick on the collar and they'll already know because you've you've developed that you know in training you know what that cue means dog should turn look see you 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 walk off in the direction that you intend to go and that dog should go to the front just as if just as if they were on a check cord mm -hmm. and you tapped them and sent them off in that direction it's a beautiful thing to to see a dog that that um that knows that you know and maybe you're you're running out in the middle of Montana, some beautiful country, and that dog is out there 300 yards on the far on the far ridge, and you holler. That dog stops, looks, and you ride your horse off in the direction that you want to go, and he races races to the front. Mm -hmm. That is a thing of beauty. It's it's so fun too to understand this like I do now because that's exactly what I've learned. And you know, I I made mistakes hunting with people before I knew this and an example would be we're out in this wide open area on the hillside and that command is given by I'll just I use George a lot um, but George will tell me don't stop I want walk the same way I'm walking right now and the reason he's doing that is because he has the button he's giving a very light tap tap yeah. on the on the neck collar and that dog's job is to look Yep. Which way is, is dad going? Yep. I need to turn. And so if I'm standing there, the command is then to come all the way back. So that's why when I tell people now, I say, just follow me. Don't stop right now. Because they, they want to watch. They want to see what's going all on. Right. I was like, no, no, no. no. Just keep trust me. Keep going. Keep, keep walking. We're going to the left. You need to go to the left with me. Don't talk to her. Just She knows exactly. she's already been given a silent command that you have no idea. Like you're you're driving that, that dog all the time. And I've... I've had the pleasure of, of watching that, you know, it's a work in progress for us, Daisy and I, but she'll be, you know, at the Sandhills in Nebraska and she's 500 yards out and I'm on a horse and I tap, right. tap, and she looks over and pretty soon she's on the, on the bluff in front of us, you know, so it's, it's very, very cool to see that foundation come through. Um, anyway, sorry, keep, right, no, keep going. No, I was going to say, I, I think First time dog handlers, you know, yeah, they get enamored with the dog and, and they have a tendency to just, I'm just going to follow, just follow the dog. So the dog will take me to the birds. Mm -hmm. And I encourage them. I said, you, you pick the course. The dog has to stay with you. Don't just get in the habit of just following the dog. And I give, I give Bob a hard time. His saying, you know, on his podcast. Is, follow the dog, good things will rise. Follow the dog. And I said, Bob, you, <laughs> yeah. you may want to just put a, 
Disclaimer. The disclaimer on that, that, <laughs> you know, don't just follow the dog. Yeah, the dog will take you there, but yeah. but um, don't encourage people just to follow the dog because the dog doesn't, if, if they know, oh, he's already, he's always going to be right behind me. I don't need to pay attention to where he is or where he's going. He's always with me. You want to develop that with these, especially with these young dogs, that they have to pay attention to where you're at and where you're going. Waltons, what can I say? They are the ultimate online store for everything you need to prepare and cook your meat. From wild game to pork and beef, they've got you covered. Their tagline is everything but the meat for a reason. A few weeks ago, they launched a new website to make your online shopping experience even easier. Waltons.com has over 5,000 items on their site in stock and ready to ship the same day. I went to their site the other day to purchase jerky seasoning for my son's big old gobbler. I found the seasoning I wanted, plus barbecue sauce, a new thermometer, steak seasonings, gloves, and a handful of other items. There's so much to choose from. It's just incredible. From grinders, mixers, stuffers, slicers, smokers, vacuum sealers, seasonings, and so much more. They also host their own podcast called Meat Gistics and host live stream videos and chats to help you make the most of your cooking experience. Check them out at waltons.com. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. I talk about the Onyx Hunt app every week. That's simply because I use it on every hunt. Seriously, every hunt. Their app tells me everything that I need to know about the land that I want to hunt and the lands that we can all legally hunt on. If you've used it yourself, then you know that the Onyx app shows your location on planet Earth and clearly lays out the land boundaries. It also tells you information about the type of property you're on, like state-owned land, federal lands, and walk-in access properties. It's ideal for scouting before the hunt and during the hunt to help put together patterns. The app also has helpful features that show you the kind of crops that are in the fields, which obviously is a big deal for us upland bird hunters. These are just a few of the many tools Onyx Maps give you, and these maps can even be used in areas without cell coverage. From the palm of your hand, Onyx Maps always help you to know where you stand. One thing I've learned with mine is that she gets, she is just a princess around the house. She is so polite, so kind, so loving on everybody. And I tell them, I'm like, you guys have no idea. Right. Wait till she smells a pheasant. That is a completely different creature you have never seen before. Because she just becomes something that, you know, everything that we work on, you know, in in a controlled environment, she'll just stand the most beautiful point. That bird will flush and she'll stare at it and watch it fly. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. When she gets out there and she feels like she needs to get that bird and she has that distance two, 300 yards away, I have seen her many, many, many times, too many times to count, John, where she thinks I'm taking it in my own hands. And now she's flushing birds. Oh, sure. You know, yeah. and that's, a, that's an issue that I need to work through this summer. Right. Can you help me? Can you walk me through my next steps here? You've seen this before, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, at her age, she's, she's had a number of birds. She's had, she's got all the experience. She knows where and how to find birds. And you're saying she's out there and maybe she'll stand point for a little bit and, and you're on your way, Mm -hmm. but, but she'll then finally break and blow up the birds and then, and, have a great time chasing, right? Yep. Or I think what I've noticed too, if I'm in eyesight of her, she's, she thinks, all right, he can see me. 
I need to I need to right. be obedient. But if she's over the hillside, all of a sudden there goes the rooster. Oh, sure. Yep. And I can't tell you specifically what happened, but I can look at my GPS in, in my hand right. and say, my dog did that. Right. Oh, yeah. What happened oh, there? Yeah. Why did she do that, John? Uh, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. And frustrating. It's, oh, yeah. It's fun for her. <laughs> for her. Yeah, for, oh, yeah. 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 So the, the next step is we call the breaking process. You know, it's, it's woe training. Mm-hmm getting them to understand and, and installing a brake system on the dog. So woe has nothing to do with birds. It's something that, you know, they that command means one thing, and that's keep all f- four feet planted and, and don't move. Um, uh, and, I, and I use the, the Smith method, you know, with the wool post and the half hitch around the flank, and uh, and then transfer she had to transfer do, yeah. that to the belly, and yep. So it's a point you're developing a that, point of contact. Yep, the point of contact is yep. on the belly, which is there's no confusion. Mm-hmm. That means one thing. That means stop. stop. You know, on the neck, it can be a number of different things mean a number of things to the dog itself. So there's no confusion between, you know, that stimulation on the belly means one thing to them. So when they're out of, when they're out of ear sh- or earshot, they're out there 300 yards. If you were to hit stem on the belly, you'd expect her to stop. Mm-hmm. So to, to get you through, get you past where uh, what she's doing, bumping birds or pushing birds up, I would go to stop to flush training when a bird's in the air she's got to apply the brake she's got to know that you know that's when you have to stop so you know in that situation you see birds flying you don't see her but you're pretty sure she was in there Mm -hmm. you know i'd i'd nick her on the belly and expect when i come up over the rise there she is standing Mm -hmm. you know and uh, she'll learn She'll learn that once she establishes point, um, you'll never you never st- stimulate when birds are still on when she's the birds are still on the ground. But as soon as those birds go, you stop the chase and you you know get her standing. Oh so, gosh, John, she when I come over the hill, she's just standing there like a statue. Right, and I and I say it's too late. You've already blown it. You know, but she knows it. And she knows what she's doing, oh, yeah. and it continues yeah. to happen. And I, I go back to certain things that I've already learned in my short training career. Um, she has, because of this job that I do, and because of the dogs that I spend time in the field with, and the places I go, and the strangers I hunt with, if I want her, if I want to hunt with her, she's going to be put in situations that aren't ideal. She's going to hunt with flushing dogs. And I've had multiple times where she's on beautiful lockdown points on birds in Montana or wherever it might be, and a flushing dog comes running right past her and flushes birds. She's still impressionable. Now she thinks, I need to go do that. And now that's what I spent all last, the rest of the last half of last year, John, when, when I wasn't filming a TV show or on the road working, whenever I went out anywhere, she and I, it was all about you do not get any reward. I never shot one bird that she flushed because I'm trying to, all the people that warned oh, me yeah. were right. I learned right. so much about oh, my yeah. mistakes, and I'm afraid that I'm already too far gone. Am well, I too far gone? Yeah, you might have a little bit of a hole, you know, and that's, 
it's a real challenge for even the veteran dogs to be able to handle another dog, you know, pushing past them and, and just blowing out birds. It but then takes, we look, if, I would imagine 90% of our listeners right now hunt with buddies right. and their dogs and their dog might not be a very well-trained dog. And now these bad habits and they, they're nodding right now. Like, yeah, my buddy, John, his dog is out of control. Right. And now do I not hunt with my buddy, John? You know, do I not go out with that dog? I want to enjoy the, the hunt right. with my friends. I want my dog to be out there. So then you're, everyone's putting themselves in a really tough spot. Yeah. It's all what you want. You know, some guys are satisfied with that. As long as, I, as long as the bird's in the bag, I don't care if that dog pushed him up or not. As long as I got, you know, I got a, I, I was able to get shots at most of them. Yeah. Um, there's, but I encourage them to, to go take that, go, take them to that next level to get them steady mm. and steady, you know, to stop to flush training. It makes a big difference. Um, it makes for, in my mind, a much more enjoyable experience when. You know, say for instance, you're out on the prairie, and uh, and the, and those sharp tail, you know, no fault of the dog, they just went. Mm-hmm. You know, or at least the first three of them did. Yeah. But the dog stopped. The dog did what it was supposed to do. You get up, you you ride up there, and and pretty soon there goes another one. And then you have shots at those. Mm-hmm. That and that dog learns that. You know, there's could be one more. It could be one more, um, and uh, and they'll they'll stand there knowing that uh, as soon as you get out in front of them and start flushing, there's probably gonna you know there there goes another one, and you you get that shot opportunity. Had that dog not stopped, it'd have cleaned out the whole the whole covey mm-hmm. would have been gone by the time you got there. So, yeah, that's that's the reason why most every pro trainer goes to North Dakota or South Dakota to work on those those young broods of of uh, sharp tail because mm-hmm. you get mul- those multiple flushes in those and they'll never catch them uh, as far as developing a good wild bird dog there's nothing better you know than the- I've seen the light switch turn on I've watched right. my dog based on time spent in the Dakotas on wild birds and that's why everyone that says nothing will make a dog like a wild bird I, I've seen it. I can agree with that. But we are in the middle of summer right now, and you do have pigeons, and you do have right. launchers. Um, what are the important tools that somebody needs, and where can they go to get them, and where can you take those birds and launchers to bring your dog out and, and spend that time training right now? Um, yeah, we, we <clears throat> during the nesting season, you know, of course, the wildlife management areas and the public lands are off limits. Yep. Um, but, um, uh, private, private land, if you can get access to it is great. You know, during when the nesting season, the band goes off in mid July, um, a lot of times I'll, I'll, uh, start looking for wild birds again. Then when I know the broods are strong enough to be able to, to handle some pressure from a young dog, but, um, um, yeah, pigeons. You know, it's tough to watch a five dollar uh, <laughs> pigeon fly just fly away. Yeah, but um, a coop of homers, you can get a lot. And done. that's what you have. Yeah. 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 How yeah. far do you travel 
from where you where there's where you train and to where they come back to mine mine aren't true racing homers these are what was feral pigeons that um they'll i've had them home as as much as 40 miles or 30 miles and when i made the jump there's some training grounds that are exactly 40 miles from my place and i i got them to the 30 mile mark and most all of them were coming back i did the next 10 miles and i started losing half of them but that's about the limit that i was able to do with those with those birds now with with true you know true racing homers yeah the sky's the limit as far as the distance they'll go you know they have 500 mile races with those birds where do you get them uh there's guys that sell that will sell homers that are uh breeders and you know the guys that are you know pigeon fanciers that are that are racing them a lot of times they'll have their culls out of their breeding um that's a good place to go you can find them I'm sure, you know, it used to be Craigslist. Now there's Facebook Marketplace and there's other Around the places to find them, yeah. Yep. I I just use uh, feral pigeons that, that I've trapped and, and and you take the young birds and you can develop a, homer, a homing coop with those young birds. They'll always fly back to where they first flew from. So if you, have, if you can get your hands on young birds and keep them in a coop for a period of time until they're settled in you know you can virtually you know open up the gate and they'll always fly back to that same place even after being handled that over and over and over and oh, stuffed yeah. in a no, trap they, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know they just yeah, keep coming they, back for more sometimes they get multiple times a day yeah and uh yeah, it's as if they they learn the routine and uh yeah, they're invaluable. There's really there's there's many things that you that you can get accomplished with a pigeon that you can't with a, a quail or a chucker or a pheasant. That um, you know um, they'll you know you get that many more repetitions and and the dogs just they can't catch them. Is there a certain distance you aim to have that dog go on point? I mean, I know that different birds will allow you to get closer than right. others you know uh even a, a rooster pheasant is less likely to let a dog get 20 yards away from it than a hen a hen you can go five yards sometimes but then you know if the dog thinks oh i can get five right. yards away and then the rooster keeps flushing keeps flushing do they just need to learn that on their own or do you can you they they will the, the birds will teach the dog what what the birds will tolerate mm -hmm. and of course you know pheasants are a whole different deal than, oh, and, than and it is to rough grouse yes. or quail a pheasant you know. will ruin a good pointer won't right. it well <laughs> a good point a good pointer will figure out pheasants yeah but it takes time yeah you know? what, how much time is normal An what experience. do you think that is i mean i suppose it's all in the amount of time out in the field and the amount of birds right. they see yeah. but what do you when do you feel like you know for some people that are like my dog just won't get there you know and now going into season two, four, six, whatever it might be. Is it per dog or mm. is there kind of just a, by season three, you should see that dog mature? Yeah, usually by, you know, three to five years old, they, they should be going into their prime as far as um, at that point, 
you know, with if they've been given the experience, they when they when you turn them loose, they know where and how to find those birds out there and how to handle them if they've had the experience. But it takes it takes experience with them. Repetition. Repetitions. You know, getting them in as as many different situations. Um, say for instance, uh, rough rough grouse is always the one used. Is you know, if a dog can handle rough grouse, they can handle any one of them out there. And um, um, but good rough grouse dogs only come with experience. They you know, there's very few that just come out of the box and they they seem to just have it figured out how to handle those birds. Do you run a bell when you're on your dogs when you're rough I do, grouse hunting? Not not always, not always. But I I do. Um, I used to run just silent, just with the GPS tracking collars. Yep. But um, when I'm training, and uh, I like to have a bell on the dog for the sheer fact that when I'm out flushing, I want to hear if that dog takes a step. You know, when the when the birds go or mm-hmm. what have you, to be able to get that correction in. Um, but um, how do you correct that? Can I ask if you're, if you're out in the field and you hear that, you know, like we've talked about it in the training, but you're out yep. there hunting. What do you do during a hunt when you hear that dog take the step, you heard the flush, you know, your dog did that. You don't want right. that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's stopping the chase. Um, and it all depends on where the dog's at in their training. Mm-hmm. You know, it may be that, you know, if I hear the bell go, uh, and I know the dog is going with the birds you know, I always use when the birds when the birds flush. I'll always let the dog know. I'll holler whoop, just and that's always the my my communication to the dog is birds up, apply the brakes. Whether you know the dog is already pointed or not, I'll let them whoop. That's Bird, not to be confused. Up. That's not to be confused with a whoa, right? But whoop means the same thing, basically, as well. It means stop. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I'll also use it as I'm cautioning a dog also. Whoop, whoa, whoop. Just maybe when they're, when they're still moving, I'll, I'll apply the brakes with that command. Whoa, to me, is your stop. I'll let them know, whoa, I'll take it from here. The dog learns that, you know, he isn't going anywhere until I come back to him and tap him and, and send him on mm-hmm. or heal him out of there. So As far as creep goes, <laughs> Bob and I got into this conversation last week with Scott Franzen because yep. Scott has a retriever. Um, you know, he's got labs. And so he, he's like, well, don't you kind of want your dog to want to get in there? And both Bob and I were like, no, we don't want any creep at all. Not one step because my dog has the ability to go out there at two, three hundred yards, if that if my dog takes that one step and that ultimately causes the bird to flush, then the the hunt is up. He's like, his dog is hunting within shotgun range, almost exclusively. So if he if his dog gets a bird up, he can take the shot. That's the the goal with the flushing dog, versus the pointer. How do you? And I've I've always been told you can't stop a creep, because if you if you do that with your with your GPS and you apply the stop button, the dog is to expect that every time. So they have to learn that on their own. Yeah, you never want to s- stimulate when the bird's still on the ground. Say, for instance, you know, 
the dog is is well off the bird and and you know maybe the birds mo- moved out moved off when developing a young dog you first want them to establish point when they fir- hit that first good scent mm-hmm. and and stay put um as they mature and get older you know depending on the bird such as you know if you're working pheasants those birds are running they'll run circles around a dog that that just doesn't know how to relocate on a bird on a running bird um but as we train and uh, work on a young dog we want them to stay put that we can let them you know as they mature and learn how to relocate on a bird that's moved that's moved off um we can begin to let them let them do that but um yeah you never want you never want to when that bird's still on the ground stem because you never want to have any negative association with the bird you can create problems pressure related problems if that if the dog seems to think that he got corrected and the bird somehow associated that correction with the bird itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, there's, that's where the, the training handbook has to come in yeah. because you're making split-second decisions on how you're communicating with your dog in those moments. And as a rookie trainer, I apologize for my dog. I almost wonder, Daisy, I don't know if everyone can hear this whining, but she's been whining this entire time. John, you've done a great I'll, job ignoring I'll her, but I almost there. wonder if she ate something. <laughs> <laughs> she needs to go get rid of it. You know what I mean? Right. I, I think that could be what's going on right now. I don't want to end our conversation right. short, right. but I almost feel like she's doing her best to hold it in. I am not 100% sure on that. But um, <laughs> where were we? Where were we, John? Uh, yeah. No. Like I said before, woe means it has nothing to do with with birds themselves mm-hmm. it means one thing and it means stop and i i see if you progress too quick and that's that's a mistake that all of us you know want to want to get there as quick as possible but in the woe training and the breaking process you want to make sure that dog is completely understanding the woe command before you begin using that in and around birds you know the correction and how how you're accomplishing that with the collar you want them completely comfortable with that and they understand it there's no confusion uh, what i see happens at times where a dog doesn't quite have it grasp it completely but we move you know to the birds and and begin using that on birds and you're forced to correct when those birds go, and pretty soon the dog is anticipating that correction coming and uh, and makes an association between that that negative stimulation with the bird itself. Mm-hmm. And what what you see happen is a dog that will, as soon as you get out in front and begin flushing, they'll go down on point. They'll they'll actually sit or lay down is a common you know reaction and that's you know they call it pressure related and uh, that's where 
you know, I always tell people, let's make, make sure that the, the dog understands that command and, and where that, what that correction was for. And that's because they move and, and they don't, they, we don't develop an association. You can get, you can get over it at times, you know, by just backing off and loosening up and, um, and start and going and taking a few steps backwards in their training. But, um, but, uh, yeah, when you push too, especially with the younger dogs, everybody, you know, you see so many guys, oh, they got a, they got that dog broke before they're a year old. And uh, I just caution with that. Let them, let them have that first year and let them be puppies. Let them have their fun let and do chase. that and do that break. And let after, them run 1.3 yeah, miles away yeah, until you lose GPS yeah, signal of them. You know, <laughs> if you got to, if you got to put that much pressure on them, you know, as a puppy, you're you're gonna take something out of them. You're yeah. gonna take some of that style and some of that desire and some of that confidence out of them. I've heard a lot of people. So you know, she's such a bold dog, big running dog, and I couldn't stop her a few times that first year when she was eight months old and we were out hunting, and she ran through the highest setting on my GPS. Right. You know, right. I, there was no stopping her until I lost signal of her, and then eventually found her again. Happened a few times. So you know, there's. There's people that have been in that situation because a lot of them have been, have reached out and said, been there, done oh, yeah. that, you know, don't worry, it's, oh, yeah. that's common, <laughs> you know. But, um, you know, that's where I wonder sometimes, too, about the dog itself. You know, each dog has that different drive. And, and so I, I'm always wondering, worried, I don't want to break her, I don't want to ruin this dog, you know, right. but I also know that I need to put boundaries on and... So for me, it's trying to figure out what is the right amount, what's right. the right pressure, what's my expectation. At this point now, this will be her third season. My expectations of her are, are right. going to go up this year. Yeah. And I'm going to hold her. Be. You know, last year I started holding her accountable for those things. And unfortunately, I put her in position to, yes, Daisy. I put her in the positions that I put her in, and now I'm paying the price a little bit. But also sure. now there's certain things that she knows she's doing. You know, and when you see that, you you know, hopefully I can get out in the field with you guys and, and yeah. spend a couple of your training run, runs because yeah, I absolutely. value I value your um, your wisdom and what you'll see in her. And um, you know, a lot of people that I've been with, like, oh, you're too hard on her. You give her, um, you know, too much grief about it. But I also I I can we're we're uh, not a well or we're what's how do I phrase it. I know what she's doing, right. you know, somebody that doesn't, right. isn't around her all the time, like, you oh, know yeah. your dog. Yeah. And if your dog pulls a quick one on you, you know it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you know where, where they're at, you mm -hmm. know, and what they can handle and, and what they can't, you know, you never want to push them to, or, or correct them so hard that they'll, they'll shut down on you or, um, and each dog is a little bit different, you know. I would guess that she's, you know, the, that bird drive will get her past any amount of pressure that you were to put on her. She'll bounce right back. Yeah, it's you a know? good, it's a good dog for me to right. make all these mistakes because I can, I can learn so much. Um, and I and I already have, and I I hope people have learned a little bit today about, um, you know, just, just working with birds, working with your dog. Um, gosh, I feel like, I feel like there's just so much that we could 
dig into and understanding the brain. Uh, and it's amazing that we've already been talking for over an hour, John. No. <laughs> In these conversations, yeah, no, they go so fast. Um, you know, I, I hope that there's some nuggets in there that people can apply to their dogs sure. right now. What do you, what's, you know, an important thing that someone has taught you or that you try to leave people with when they come out and you spend time with their dog? What, what is the most important takeaway for you that you can now give to us? I'm constantly encouraging them to be patient, be patient. It'll come, you know, especially you with, ever seen it with not young come? dog. Not really. Okay. No, it, give it, give it time, uh, especially with the young dogs. They, they want to, I mean, they're, they're seeing somebody else and comparing their, their pup to somebody else's pup. And every one of them's, you know, at a different level, depending on just, you know, a lot of times how, what kind of experience they've had and, and, uh, just, you know, the environment that they've been in, but, um, no, I, I like I say, it's just be patient. You don't have to get there, you know, overnight. You sure, you know, people would like to have that, but you got to work at the dog's pace, you know, and the dog will let you know. But um, no, so yeah, it's be patient. Um, it comes with experience, you know. Let the let that puppy be a puppy, and that that first year, I let him. You know, they pretty much can do no wrong. You know, they have to learn how and where to find birds and, and what these things are all about before putting that pressure on them of, you know, through the breaking process. But um, um, And then once, you know, you got to be consistent, you know. And, and if you're not, the dogs will, the dogs pick up on that in a hurry where, you know, uh, if they think they can, if they know they can get, they got by with it once, you know, they'll, they'll roll they'll the dice again. and try it again, <laughs> you know, every time. Yeah. Um, it, I've, I've had people that, you know, have reached out when we've talked about training opportunities and they say, I don't have the space. I don't know where to go. Um, I respond to them and say a lot of my training morning before I go to the office over lunch breaks. Uh, it's 15 minutes here. It's 10 minutes here. It's 15 minutes here. You know, that go, that's, go with me, stop, you know, the, all of those things you can do yeah. in the small spaces too. I mean, using the command lead, using right. a lot of those tactics that you use in the field, just reaffirming it, reaffirm it, you know, in my backyard, in my front yard, walking to, through the park, you know, a lot of those places, you don't have to be out in a 40 acre meadow that has nesting birds, wild birds to train. And I think those 10 minute, 15 minutes here and there add up. And that in turn really can make a big difference. Give a dog a job to do with everything that you, you know, get in a routine such as I watched you, Daisy will not go through a doorway without your permission. And, and that's, that's incredible. That's, that's a, that's a great uh, routine that you've developed. You know, uh, develop a routine. You know, when you when you open the the tailgate on the truck, they're not allowed just to come blasting out of the crate. Um, they have to stand there, get geared up, and they they can't jump off. Develop that routine. 
before they're turned loose in the field, they always have to come to heal, stop, and then send them. Uh, it's it's uh, getting the dog in the right mindset, you know, where they have to f- focus on you. Their focus is on you. It's almost like they, they punch in and they exactly. punch out. It's a job to them. Yep. As much as they love give them, it. Give them a job. Yeah. Yeah, every opportunity you get, you know, whether it's, you know, being able to snap your fingers and, and tell them and point to lay down in the house and stay put. Every opportunity you get to be able to let them know who's in charge and and give them something that uh, they need to mm-hmm. be obedient with. And, uh, you know, I... People get their their first puppy and they're told, yeah, there's really, there's really not much you need to do as far as formal training. And they take that as I don't need to do anything with them. And, uh, and I, I think that's, you know, they can get themselves in trouble with, you know, not taking those opportunities to give them something, give them something to, to, to focus on. And, uh, um, yeah, keep it simple. But every time you're with a dog, every time you interact interact with a dog, you're training, mm-hmm. whether you realize it or not. You're training. Hmm. I think she's trying to train us to say that right. it's it's time to wrap this one up, John. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. I could talk to you for hours. I hope we can do this again. Uh, and now that we're absolutely. a block away, not even from right. each other, right? Stone throw. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm excited for the hunting season coming up. I know you yeah, are too, too, and you're going to be out on the prairie before we know it. Um, we kind of wrapped it up already. I think we'll just leave it at that. But yeah. thank you. Oh, I thank appreciate you it. a lot. Thank and you. It's been an honor and a pleasure. I, I, would, I would also want to ask people that if they have specific questions, you know, when I, I, I feel very fortunate that I can call you, John, or I can call some of these amazing dog trainers with decades of experience. Um, based on the the role that I have here mm-hmm. to communicate. Um, so with that, I want to know what questions you as a listener have for amazing people like John that are willing to give us a little bit of their time. So you can find us at any of our social media pages on Facebook. Just uh, search The Flush TV. Same for Instagram. Same for Google search. You'll find The Flush TV and there's always a contact form on any of those. Send us messages. You can find me as well. Uh, just search Travis Frank. And um, if you look at any of my pictures, you'll probably know that I'm the outdoor Travis Frank and not some of the other ones that are out there. Oh. So anyway, I don't know. I don't search my own name, but I know that you can find me. And if you do, I want to hear from you because I want to know what questions you have. I save them. So when these opportunities come up and I get to interview somebody with a tremendous wealth of knowledge, your question will get asked. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, If you have guests that you want to hear on this show, any dog trainers, any specific topics, anything at all, please reach out to us so we can answer your questions. We, We are a community of bird hunters trying to help you, entertain you, teach you, um, and hopefully at the end of the day, end of the season, you come home with a happy dog and a few more birds in your bag. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank reminding you to take the time to introduce someone new to the field. <laughs>